Welcome back to another episode of Pour Me Another, a podcast brought to you by a doofus in a closet in Virginia. And that doofus is me. My name is John, and I'm your host. Today's episode is going to be the monthly recap of April 2019, and uh, I've got some good little tidbits for you here. Last month, or last week, I should say, we did... Uh, my first uh, veteran interview with retired Army Sergeant Major Mark Thornton, and I thoroughly enjoyed doing that interview. Mark's a really intelligent guy, had a lot of great wisdom, um, and uh, you know it was really it was a lot of fun doing uh, my first veteran interview. I, I look forward to doing veteran interviews in the future, uh, but that was that was the first one, and it went really really well. We both had a really good time doing it. Uh, so look for that. If you haven't already listened to it, go ahead and give Mark's interview a listen. It, it was it was great. It went really really well. This episode, like I said, is our recap of April 2019, and I'm going to start with the uh, the good news, the happy news. Uh, like I said before, I'm not going to do news about politics. I'm not going to do that typical mainstream media stuff you already hear too much of, that negative bullshit. I'm going to pick some news topics that I think are particularly fucking great. And so the first one that I have for you this month that happened in April is, um, oh wait, you know what? Before we get started, I forgot to mention my beverage. The name of the show is Pour Me Another, and today I've poured myself my usual, my favorite, a Maker's Mark on the rocks with a splash of soda in it. Mm. And that is fucking delicious. Okay, so that's what I'm drinking. All right, now back to the happy news, the uplifting news. My first little thing that I saw happen in April that I thought was fucking great. A South African rhino poacher was out in the bush with his buddies, and they were hunting rhinos. And uh, in the process of doing that, one of them got trampled by an elephant and then eaten by lions. Yeah, take that fucker. Out there killing endangered species, and nature, it it turned on him. (laughs) The elephant army found his ass and and trampled him into the ground, and then he got eaten by lions. So take that. That's, 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 That's truly jungle justice right there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so fuck him. All right. So the next thing, uh, California, we're going from South Africa to California. California is finally rated 100% drought free for the first time. in I think they said seven years. And as a result of that, they have experienced a super bloom where, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys saw pictures of this. If you Google California super bloom, you'll, you'll get to see the pictures, but we're talking, I mean, it was ridiculous. Just an unusual amount of uh, flora, flowers, and pretty things, just like blowing f- fucking California's countryside way up. It was, it was, it was beautiful. And uh, I think they said there was a couple places that are still pretty dry, but um, you know, the fact that the majority of California is now drought-free is a really big deal. They they said that streams are flowing, rivers are flowing, lakes are filling back up, ponds are filling back up. So so that's that's great. That's awesome for anyone living in California. Congratulations on your <laughs> the return of your water, as well as your super pretty super bloom that you got to enjoy. A new study released in the medical journal The Lancet finds that 100% of men on viral suppression drugs are unable to transmit HIV during unprotected sex. That's huge. That's, that's, that's fucking incredible. That means, I mean, I can remember reading from, you know, like the 1980s when HIV was first discovered, people legitimately thought that it was going to wipe out the human race. It was this big, scary new virus that nobody had any, any understanding of. They were terrified of it. And now we've reached a point where our antiviral medication is so effective that 100% of the guys, the gay men, who had um, sex unprotected 
on these antiviral drugs did not transmit their HIV to their partners. Um, there were some people who uh, did not have it at the beginning that were part of the study and then caught it, but they caught it from partners who were not involved in the study. So it's it's 100% effective. Um, these drugs, they, they suppress the virus to such a degree that they cannot transmit it, and that is a huge step forward in completely eradicating HIV from the human race. Although I imagine with our ridiculous and stupid anti-vaxxer culture, um, it's entirely possible that it never goes away completely. But anyway, so that's positive. That's positive. We're, 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 we're slowly pecking away at HIV's grasp on the human race. The FDA has granted MDMA breakthrough status in the treatment of PTSD. So yeah, they're, they're in therapy. They're juicing up people that are that are post-traumatic stress sufferers with MDMA, and it's allowing them to process their trauma. Evidently, what it does is it releases oxytocin, the love hormone, and that allows us to develop new bonds. It's, it's the, the hormone that allows us to, like when we're developing as children, it allows us to develop love bonds to other people like family. And so when you're processing your traumatic history and you're taking this MDMA, the oxytocin allows you to develop new bonds and sort of a self-love thing um, to reframe these traumatic memories, thus eliminating your emotional response as a result of these traumatic memories. So it's a whole new way of processing therapy, a whole new method of um, conducting uh, exposure therapy. The idea is you like you take the MDMA and then you revisit these traumatic memories and the MDMA allows you to reprocess in a much more healthy way, a way that allows you to develop um, healthier, better bonds with these memories. So that's really awesome for all of you listening who might have some form of post-traumatic stress. That's something to look into in the future. Okay, now I would be remiss if I didn't talk about some space stuff. We've got SpaceX landed all three of its Falcon Heavy boosters for the first time on their platform successfully. So SpaceX is the commercial space flight operation being run by Elon Musk, who I'm a big fan of. And SpaceX has been conducting, um, you know, exo-atmospheric operations for the, uh, well, NASA, as well as some other international space organizations. And uh, they, the way that these rockets land is um, they come down vertically and they use their booster to slow their descent and then these these legs fold down and then they land on the legs. Well, previously when they launched a SpaceX Heavy, um, the the Falcon Heavy, it, the all three boosters were unable to land like that. They I think one of them blew up the last time they tried it and then they ditched them in the ocean a couple times. But for the first time in... SpaceX's history, the heavy Falcon, the Falcon Heavy rocket was able to land all three of its boosters to be reused on their platforms. So if you if you get a chance, you should definitely look into the videos of that because it's fucking incredible the way that they do it. It looks like something straight out of a science fiction film. You know, it, it makes you feel like we really are living in the future. To continue the space thing, the big news, the the big space science news last month in April was that for the first time ever, scientists were able to capture a picture of a black hole. The black hole was named M87. It is 50 million light years away. And so the reason that we've never been able to capture a picture of a black hole before is because black holes are gravitational 
um, anomalies in space that produce so much gravity that not even light is able to escape past their event horizon. The, the event horizon is the, the point in the black hole's existence where not even light escapes. And so you can't see past the event horizon. That's why they're black. I mean, they're not technically black in, in scientific terms, but to our eyes, they appear to be black. And so we were able to capture a picture of that. And what we saw in the picture, what it looks like is sort of like a, a, a smudgy orange circle. And <clears throat> what we're seeing in the smudgy orange circle, orange circle is really a shadow of the black hole's accretion disk. And what an accretion disk is, is uh, dust and um, all kinds of space material that the, the gravitational pull of the, the black hole has accumulated around it, but not attracted it so close that they're sucked into past the event horizon. So the accretion disk is just a spinning disk around the um, the black hole itself that is all manner of space material, stars and plasma and dust and things. So what we saw was the shadow of the accretion disk. And uh, yeah, it's an enormous deal. It, it, it proved Einstein's theory of relativity correct and has opened up a, a new frontier of scientific understanding of, of space and our relationship with space and our ability to image those kinds of uh, interstellar phenomena. So that was really, really cool. And that was that's, that's what I got you as far as positive news goes for the month of April. So we got South African rhino poacher got trampled and eaten. California is having a super bloom. HIV is, is slowly dying as a result of our advances in medicine. Uh, MDMA is helping people treat their PTSD. SpaceX lands all three of its Falcon heavy rockets and a picture of a black hole. Very exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. Moving along to our next piece for the month of April is the Apache helicopter, the airplane of the month. I decided to switch gears. Last month I talked about um, the P-51D Mustang, fixed-wing aircraft. And this month I wanted to talk about a helicopter. And so my cha- my pick for this month was the Apache, the AH-64 Apache attack helicopter. Um, you guys have probably seen it in the movies. It's, it's the big green fucker with the, 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 the gun on the nose. It's got little winglets, um, that they can, little, little wing pylons. They mount missiles and rocket pods on, and it's just nasty looking. It's got, uh, you know, two guys in the cockpit. Um, so the Apache helicopter, a lot of people don't really know what it was designed to do, why it exists even. Why do we have this? murder machine. Well, in the 70s, in the early 70s, during our um, Cold War with the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union was developing huge stockpiles of tanks and armored vehicles. After World War II, the Soviet Union became very big about um, you know, keeping as many tanks and armored vehicles as possible in their arsenal. Uh, because the one of the one of the vehicles that really helped the Soviet Union win the war against the Germans in World War II, what they call the Great War, was the Russian T-34 tank. And they fielded enormous quantities of this vehicle, and it really turned the tide against the German invaders. It was a, uh, had a 
very thick hull that was difficult to penetrate and a cannon that was powerful enough to destroy all the things that the Germans had, but it was easy to manufacture and it was fast too. It could, it could travel very quickly. So they, they became kind of intoxicated and addicted to, um, armored vehicles during that conflict as did, I mean, a lot of other countries did too, but Russia really went crazy with it, man. They started pumping out all kinds of, of new tanks and armored vehicles at a ridiculous rate. And all through the cold war, the, um, the Russian, the Soviet armored presence was feared and rivaled by practically nobody. I mean, the United States developed a lot of armored vehicles, but the Russians kind of outpaced us in that category. And, and, and we feared for a long time the, the Soviet armored elements. And so one of our ways of uh, countering that threat was to come up with uh, aircraft that were able to destroy, you know, all of this Soviet armor. Uh, and, and one of the, the, one of the big ones, the aircraft we developed to counter the Soviet armor threat was the A-10 Thunderbolt. You guys are familiar with that plane. It's the, you might be familiar. It's, it's, it's a big, ugly looking thing. It's got two engines on the back and, and twin, um, vertical stabilizers. It's got the Gao 30 millimeter cannon in the nose, Gao 8 30 millimeter cannon in the nose, you know, and, and you might be familiar with Burt. B R R R R R R R T That's the sound it makes when it fires that big gun. So the A-10, um, that gun was specifically designed to shred Soviet tanks. Mm. Bourbon. But so all the all the branches of the military were coming up with their own aircraft to counter the Soviet threat of armor. You had the, you know, the A-10 was the Air Force, and then the Marine Corps had the AV-8B Harrier, which was uh, close support aircraft. The Navy had its versions of things, and then you know, bombing. Uh, like the the F fourteen was equipped with uh, anti um, armor missiles, the Maverick missile, as well as um, you know, it could hit them with bombs and stuff. So they all had their answers, and the Army wanted its answer. And during the Vietnam War, the Army became um, very attached to helicopter aviation, and uh, you know. They they had the Huey for insertion of troops, but then they also had the the Huey Cobra, which was in a like really the first um, heavily fielded attack helicopter that the United States Army had. And the Cobra was a lot like the Apache. It was a you know small, nimble. It could carry rockets and missiles, and it had a gun on the nose for shooting all kinds of things up. But the the Army wanted its its own anti-armor dedicated attack helicopter. And so it put out a contract into, uh, you know, the con the contracting space and, and said, guys, what we need is an, a dedicated attack helicopter with the primary purpose of countering Soviet armor. And so I think it was Hughes Helicopter came up with one, and then I think Sikorsky had their version. Um, but the Hughes version, the YAH-64A, that first flew in September of 1973, was the contract winner. And so the YAH-64A became the AH-64A. And uh, the Apache really began production in 1981. And what they did was they, they built the platform of the Apache helicopter around... Uh, a nose cannon that could fire 30 millimeter anti-armor projectiles, as well as the Hellfire missile, which was being concurrently developed. Uh, and around 1974 is when that one was being developed. But that was a, the Hellfire was specifically designed to be an anti-armor missile. And so you had this, this anti-armor missile, the Hellfire being developed at the same time as the Apache helicopter. They were being developed in tandem 
to complement one another. And so in the 80s, the early 80s is when the Apache um, entered production. It was given the designation the AH-64 Apache attack helicopter by the United States Army and uh, first entered trials and found to be competent. And what the AH-64 is, it's a, it's a, well, it's, it's an attack helicopter and it has four rotors on the, on the rotor mast. And it was, um, initially it had a smaller engine, but eventually they upgraded it to the General Electric T-700 turbo shaft engine. Doesn't that sound cool? And so what a turbo shaft engine is, is basically a jet engine that's been, um, geared up to the propeller shaft of a helicopter. Um, jet engines are not only used in jet aircraft. There are two other types of jet engines that are used in aviation. And so there's the turboshaft helicopter, which is a jet engine that, that goes up to the rotors of a helicopter. And then there's also turboprops. You're probably familiar with those. There are lots of turboprops in civilian aviation, commercial airliners like the de Havilland Dash 8, Q400 Dash 8 has turboprops on it. And so that's a, um, that's a jet engine that's been gear reduced up to a prop on the nose. And so the Apache helicopter has two General Electric T-700 turbo shaft engines. So those are jet engines. And they, they power the main rotor. Uh, the crew, it's a two-man crew on the Apache gunship. And uh, they sit in tandem. The pilot is behind and above. And the gunner is in front and a little below. And this is basically how, what they do. The pilot flies the helicopter, and then the gunner operates the um, fire control systems and the and the weapons aboard the aircraft. And so, what they they basically do as a crew is the, initially the Apache helicopter was designed to kill tanks, um, and the the pilot would fly the helicopter and then park it on station, and and they would basically hover and track you know these enemy tanks and then fire from a hover a position of a hover and uh you know hit enemy tanks from distance uh that the uh, the tanks could not engage the apache helicopters effectively by the way my my poor cat meatball is desperately in heat right now i need to get the poor thing fixed but she's in the background she's meowing her poor little fucking head off because i won't let her out of the room i don't when she's in heat it's weird she does this weird thing where she's all super ultra weird affectionate and it just creeps me out so fuck that she's staying in there and she's crying and crying so if you if you hear my cat i apologize don't ignore her and, and listen to my sweet voice as i discuss the ah-64 apache attack helicopter but back to the apache attack helicopter ignoring meatball um they would they would park their helicopter in the Apache and they would they would fire from distance and they developed a, a system called the longbow radar. Uh, you might have seen um, pictures of Apaches with this like dome thing on top of the rotor mast and and basically what that is is the what did they call it the ANAPG seventy eight longbow anti armor radar system. How cool is that? That was it was just a it was a radar system that. It sat on top of the rotor mast, and what they would do is they would hover, they would mask themselves. Masking in, <clears throat> in, in this capacity is the act of hiding the body of your aircraft, your helicopter, behind terrain or trees or something. And then they would poke that little, little longbow radar pod up above the trees and get a good track on the enemy target, whether it's tank or um, you know an armored personnel carrier like a BMP or maybe a truck and then they would pop up and fire their missiles and then go back down into cover it was an extremely effective system and they could they could engage up to i think it was 16 enemy targets at once with this equipment 
And the Hellfire missile uh, is what they would fire uh, to, to engage these enemy armor units. The way the Hellfire missile works is you... It's a fire and forget missile, and it locks onto either a radar signature or an image. And once you're locked, you fire it. It shoots off the rail, goes out straight, then it goes straight up in the air for a while, and then drops down on top of its target is what you want it to do. And so the reason that they do that is that tanks, any any armored unit really, is weakest on its top. They, they don't put a lot of armor on top of those things because they, they aren't attacked there very often. Um, so the, the top armor of an enemy tank turret or the main body, the lower glacis, is the weakest point of any given enemy tank, the top. And so the Hellfire missile, the objective of the Hellfire is to get over the enemy tank and then drop down on top of it and penetrate it with, I think it has a, a shaped projectile inside of it. It's, I forget exactly how it engages the enemy unit, but it destroys the tank. And, and the Hellfire is extremely effective in doing this. Pops turrets off tanks and stuff. But what was interesting about the Hellfire is that it was so accurate, they started using it for other... Uh, you know, kinds of engagements. And the first time that the Apache helicopter saw combat was in 1989 during Operation Just Cause, which was our invasion of Panama. And during the invasion of Panama, the H-64 Apache, it, it participated in over 240 hours of combat operations attacking all kinds of different targets. So not just tanks, but also, you know, buildings and infantry and all kinds of things like that. And it did it at night even, and was very effective at fighting at night. And there was one guy, General Carl Steiner, uh, the commander of our invasion in Panama, said that the thing was so accurate, you could fire it through a, you could fire a Hellfire missile through a window from four miles away at night and kill your target. How fucking, think about that. Like, think about being the poor, the poor fucker. You're sitting there in Panama, part of the revolution or whatever the fuck is going on and, and just out of nowhere a hellfire missile just it blasts right through a window and shits all over your day that's that's a hell of a way to go but that's how the american military does business uh, most specifically the apache attack helicopter so very effective in combat with that weapon system very effective with the hellfire missile uh, what was also very effective was the uh, the chain gun under the nose so it's got this chain gun um, it's called the M230, and it's a 30 millimeter chain gun. Now, the 30 millimeter on the A10 Thunderbolt fires around. It's it's much bigger. It's much longer, and uh, it, it's is a much higher velocity round, and it's designed to shred through tanks. The Apache's 30 millimeter chain gun is not designed to penetrate the same kind of armor that the A10's 30 millimeter is designed to the the apache's 30 millimeter is more of a high explosive fragmentation it's for it's for i mean they they do have an armor penetrating capability but it's it's really reserved for you know softer targets like maybe an armored truck or an armored personnel carrier but you wouldn't want to engage like a t72 main battle tank with the apache's nose gun they're the same millimeter they're the same caliber but they're not the same you know, level of penetration. They're, they're, they're much, the Apache's round is a lot shorter and a lot less, uh, you know, penetrating than the A-10's gun is. So they, they have this 30 millimeter chain gun and they use it. You can see all kinds of videos on the internet of the Apache's nose gun being used to engage, uh, trucks and infantry and stuff like that. And, um, 
one of the ways that they use it, most of the time I think that they they use that gun through the uh, forward-looking infrared sight aboard the, the gunship. It's a in the gunner's seat, the gunner's got all kinds of equipment, but he's got this—he's got the ability to to use. Um, there's a sensor pod on the nose of the Apache, and I think it's called TADS, um, Target Acquisition and Display System, something like that. Anyway, it, it's Target Acquisition and Designation, maybe. So the the TADS, the the purpose of that, there's the sensor is—it's infrared, it's FLIR, it's also got night vision. It it, it locks onto and tracks targets, and they usually use that to engage. Uh, you know, with the with the chain gun, but they also have um, an eye mounted sight. It literally attaches. It's called AHARS. I, I can't remember exactly what that stands for, but it's hel- it's a helmet mounted eyepiece that locks in position over your right eyeball, and that creates an image of the gun sight. You can also use it for like the FLIR, I think. Um, but you can slave the chain gun cannon on the nose of the Apache helicopter to that eyepiece. And then wherever you point that eyepiece, whenever you turn your head, you look left, it goes left. You look right, it goes right. And it's accurate to within like three degrees, I think. And so if they're flying around and it's kind of hectic and they need to gun on the fly, they can use that eyepiece to aim their chain gun cannon. And so that's that's another way that the Apache helicopter engages the enemy. They're also capable of carrying up to 78 Hydra rockets. And a Hydra rocket is it's just a dumb fire rocket that shoots straight and then you know as a result of gravity it also kind of goes down but you know they fire these things in huge salvos and and hydras are just high explosive rockets used to engage um all manner of armored or unarmored targets including infantry and tanks and apcs and stuff like that so uh the, the point that i'm trying to make is that the apache helicopter carries a shitload of firepower it also has the ability to engage air-to-air targets so you can fit the apache with stinger missiles or sidewinder air-to-air missiles sidewinders are infrared seeking they they're heat seekers they lock onto the engine heat signature of an enemy aircraft and then track into that so the apache has the ability to blow up tanks it can blow up infantry it can kill soft targets like trucks and houses it can also engage enemy aircraft (coughs) god damn it also So the Apache was used in, let's see, that was Operation Just Cause was its first use, but then it also saw combat later on, and of course, uh, Operation Desert Storm and Operation Desert Shield, uh, nearly half of all U.S. Apache helicopters were deployed to Saudi Arabia following Iraq's invasion of Kuwait in 1990. 277 Apache helicopters were deployed, and they ended up destroying around 280 Iraqi tanks and armored personnel carriers and vehicles, trucks. I think they only lost one Apache helicopter during um, Operation Desert Storm uh, as a result of, uh, I think it was an RPG that hit it. But one of the interesting things about the Apache helicopter is that despite the fact that it's extremely good at its job and it's highly effective in combat, it's very fragile. It's one of the most fragile aircraft that uh, the military has in its arsenal. The maintenance for this thing is ridiculous. They're always fixing it. And it was such a concern that uh, after after the Persian Gulf War, the second time that the Apache helicopter was fielded in overseas operations was during Kosovo. Remember Kosovo? Serbia, Bosnia, that whole nightmare. 
that we sent Apache helicopters over there. But not one single Apache helicopter mission took place because they were afraid these things would break. They just weren't they just weren't viable at that point. They for some reason the the maintenance was too expensive and the Apache helicopters were experiencing their units were experiencing a really high level of uh, maintenance faults and so they kept them out of the field. And it wasn't until later during uh, Operation Enduring Freedom when that started in 2001 that they they went back into combat. They got a lot of retraining on their night vision systems and they got upgraded on on a lot of their maintenance systems and so um during Operation Enduring Freedom, the Apache saw extensive combat action in our fight against the Taliban and Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And then in Operation Iraqi Freedom, um, it it really got ramped up. And uh, the, the primary mission of the Apache helicopter through Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom was basically the same. There, there wasn't a lot of armor to bust, which is its primary function, well, design function. But the Apache helicopter and its crew has the ability to get super up close and personal. It's got all that firepower. So mostly what the Apache helicopter did was combat air support for light you know, lighter units like infantry and armor and stuff like that, guys on the ground. And that's what you see most of the videos and, and most of the uh, statistics regarding the Apache's combat action in Iraq and, and Afghanistan relates to is pulling combat air support for uh, for guys on the ground. And so uh, the Apache's still in service. Um, it's it's achieved uh, as a result of upgrading the maintenance systems and stuff like that and the maintenance readiness for the Apache helicopter. They have achieved a combat readiness of 88% of the unit, so that's much improved. And since 1974, the Apache has accumulated 4 million flight hours in the American in the American military, as well as the 15 other nations that it flies for. Um, so it's not just it's not just an American helicopter. The Apache is being operated by 15 other nations, including, uh, I think, Egypt, Israel, the UK has a bunch, uh, South Korea, Australia. So the Apache's it's it's in a lot of different nations um, doing a lot of a lot of uh, combat air support uh, in OAF and OEF. Uh, you know that recently the most recent one is the AH-64E. It's got a lot of new. Uh, abilities, including it can, they can fly UAVs, you know, unmanned aerial vehicles from the cockpit of the Apache helicopter now, so they can work in tandem. And w- what the Army did was they moved all of their Army Reserve and National Guard Apaches to the active duty Army and phased out the Kiowa helicopter, which was kind of like a Bell 206. It was a scout helicopter the Army's had for a really long time. But they, they gave the Kiowa the axe. And they're using the Apache helicopter to replace it as a scout helicopter because it just it does just as good a job. So, so the future of the Apache helicopter is secure. It's not going anywhere for a long time, um, and it's uh, it's now going to be the first heavy attack reconnaissance helicopter is what they're calling it. So that's the Apache attack helicopter. For me, the Apache is oh man, it's my favorite helicopter. It 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 is it is the chopper that I've always wanted to fly. It's like one of my dream aircraft. I, I desperately wish that I could get behind the controls of an Apache helicopter. I'd have to go back in the army to do that. I don't know if I want to make that commitment all over again, but it's just fucking sweet. I remember there's this movie from the early nineties called Oh Christ, what is it called? Oh, if I can't remember this, I'm gonna kill myself. It's um it's got Nicolas Cage and it's Firebirds. It's called Firebirds. And so Firebirds was like the army version of Top Gun. 
And in this movie, Nicolas Cage flies Apache helicopters and gets in a gunfight. It's, it's fucking great. If you ever get a chance, look up a movie called Firebirds starring Nicolas Cage. It's wonderful. And so then I remember there was also every, every time I saw an Apache helicopter in a movie, I got super excited. Like, remember Godzilla from 1998 with um, Matt Broderick and Hank Azaria? And they're 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 flying the Apache helicopters through the streets of New York. God damn, that was fucking cool. So I personally I love the Apache. First time I ever saw one was in uh, South Korea when I was stationed there. I watched him do gunnery and it was one of the most awesome displays of firepower I have ever fucking seen. I mean, this thing, they were firing Hellfire missiles and the chain gun and just uh, unloading on all kinds of targets that had been set up for them for gunnery on the side of this mountain. It was, it was, it was incredible, but they're beautiful too. When they fly in, the engines are so loud and, and they're just these, you see it, you know, immediately what it is. And it's, it's, it's like flying sex. (laughs) It looks like sex in the air that can kill you. Um, you know, they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that's true. Except for an Apache helicopter An Apache helicopter will fucking kill you. (laughs) Anyway, that's the Apache helicopter. That's the aircraft of the month. And um, let's see, next next month, what? Give me some suggestions. What what kind of airplane would you like to hear me talk about next month? Be sure and comment on my my Facebook page or something, and let me know what kind of aircraft you want to hear about. So the Apache helicopter is the aircraft of the month, and uh, I hope you enjoyed that uh, compilation of knowledge and tidbits about the AH sixty four. Apache attack helicopter. All right, we're moving on now, and it's time for... The Asshole of the Month! That's right, it is the Asshole of the Month. And this month, the Asshole of the Month are people who give away fucking spoilers. Are you fucking kidding me? Spoilers, seriously. What's wrong with you? Why would you do that? All right, look, there's this magical thing that happens when I watch a movie for the first time or a TV show for the first time. I haven't seen it yet. And maybe it's something that I've really been looking forward to seeing. And I sit down and I'm all excited and I don't know what to expect. And then the the action unfolds in front of me and I get to see this this beautiful story and this crazy action or maybe this plot twist that blows my mind, fucks me up, fills me with emotion. I love that feeling. Everybody loves that feeling when they go and see a movie, when they watch a TV show. And people who ruin that by providing spoilers are enormous cocksuckers. I mean, you're literally taking all of the enjoyment out of seeing something for the first time. It's a scumbag fucking thing to do. And most recently, we've seen it with Avengers Endgame and then the latest season of Game of Thrones. People are just rampant with this shit. One guy, I think it was in Korea, went and went into the theater, saw Avengers Endgame, came out and started spewing spoilers to the people in line, and someone beat him so fucking hard that he ended up in a hospital. That is perfect. I think that's exactly what should happen. (laughs) If you decide you're going to fucking give people spoilers, that's bullshit. You don't do that. It's fucking awful. It's a horrible, evil, self-centered thing to do, and fuck people that do it. So from now on, in this world, if you are the type of individual that likes to go see movies, you should A, not spoil the movie for others, and B, if you encounter people who spoil movies or TV shows for others, you should spit right in their eye 
And my message to all you people out there who like to provide spoilers is... It takes a special kind of scumfuck to walk up to a line of people about to see the biggest summer blockbuster of the year and give them spoilers. That shit is for total dicks. If you enjoy that kind of thing, I sincerely hope someone really does spit in your eye, because you are a fucking asshole. Yeah, so that's the asshole of the month. Alright, moving along. Next is... Douchebags of History! That's right, it's Douchebags of History. And this month, my douchebag is a particularly scummy little fucker. Now, as you guys know, I really enjoy TV. I really enjoy movies. HBO has a new series out called Chernobyl. And I personally have always been fascinated by the events that took place at Chernobyl in 1986. Um, I think the exact day, hold on, I got the facts in front of me here. Um, it was the night of 25 and 26 April, 1986. Chernobyl was what's called an RBMK reactor created by the Soviet Union to power all kinds of shit. They made it, it's in Ukraine. Okay. And this, this, this big reactor, they blew it up. And so HBO has been, they did a series to tell the story of that. And uh, I was watching it, and I got struck with inspiration to talk about this one motherfucker that I've read about before. Now, basically what happened at Chernobyl, they had this giant reactor, and it had been in service for, I think it was only a couple years old or something. And they had four reactors built at the time, uh, one, two, three, and four. And so in the number four reactor on April 25th, the night of April 25th and 26th, uh, 1986, the guys running the show decided that well, I think Moscow had ordered that they conduct this test to find out if the failsafe the failsafe systems on the RBMK reactor, number four reactor, would function under very, very low power. I might be getting some of these little things wrong, but basically they had to conduct a test of a system, okay? And the way a nuclear reactor basically works is you've got nuclear fissile material and it's creating a lot of heat. And so there's these things called control rods that they they insert into the fissile material, like it's uranium or, or plutonium or whatever, and the control rods absorb the heat and control the temperature at which the reactor cooks. And if the reactor gets out of control, it either explodes or it melts down, or the most common thing is a meltdown. And what a, what a nuclear reactor meltdown basically is, is the fissile material inside the reactor heats, superheats out of control and literally melts down through its containment unit into the floor, into the earth, really. But that's not exactly what happened at Chernobyl. So at Chernobyl, they were doing this test. And they had a, a water coolant system uh, as well as these control rods that kept the reactor in check, that kept the, the temperatures from going out of control. And so they lowered the power of the reactor. And when they did that, one of the technicians made a mistake. And he knew that he had made a mistake. And he said, we should shut this thing down. And then his buddy said, yeah, we should shut this fucking thing down because it's starting to heat out of control. And so then this guy, whose name is Anatoly Dyatlov, Anatoly Dyatlov, who was the fuckhead in charge of this test, says, nope, keep it going. In fact, I want you to increase the power. 
And they said, no, no, sir, we should really not do this. And he used his little muscle, his little, his little intimidation to force these guys to increase the power output. And when they did that, at some point during this test, I don't, I don't remember exactly how it all went down. It's extremely complicated, you know, the way that this all went down. They had poured water into the reactor to try and cool it because it was heating out of control. And then after that water was in there, then I think that was as a result of Dyatlov's order to increase the power. It started to power out of control. They wanted to pump water into it, so they pump water into it. And then this Dyatlov guy says, insert the coolant rods, the control rods. And so these guys are like, we shouldn't do that either. And he's like, fuck you. I will have you, you know, I will, I will, I will fuck shit up. He, he starts throwing his Politburo. Well, he wasn't Politburo, but his political muscle around. This is the Soviet Union we're talking about, you know, where, where if you cross the wrong person, they'll shoot you. (laughs) So he starts throwing around his, his power muscle, whatever, and says, insert the fucking rod. And so they insert the rods and that causes a steam buildup that went out of control. The whole thing starts to superheat out of control. And eventually this, this buildup of pressure inside the reactor causes the entire thing to fucking explode. That's what happened at Chernobyl. These control rods hit this water that was in there, created an enormous steam pressure combine and that exploded and it blew the fucking top off of the nuclear reactor. So now the nuclear reactor's containment vessel is opened and exposed and it's dumping radiation and radioactive material that is now on fire. It starts a graphite fire. The control rods were made of graphite. And so now these control rods are on fire and it's burning out of fucking control and it's blowing radiation and radioactive material up into the atmosphere. And so what happens? They say, I think it's blown up. People are like, this thing is blown up. And this asshole, Anatoly Dyatlov, he he goes and he's like inspecting. He's looking around. He literally walks out and sees chunks of graphite and chunks of radioactive material all over the fucking ground outside and still thinks that the reactor is in is in one piece. He doesn't think that it's exploded. He sees this shit and still somehow convinces himself that the thing hasn't exploded. So he goes back in. People are telling him this thing is exploded. It's out of control. And he's like, oh, you've, you're, you're, you're in shock. You're, you're out of your mind right now. You need to calm down. One guy's like, no, this is a serious problem. We have a serious problem. He's like, no, everything is fine. So when he goes to report about this thing to his hires, he tells him the same thing. He says, everything is fine. The reactors, it's in, it's in, it's in good shape. It's in one piece. And they say, well, how much radiation has leaked as a result of this? And so at the time they had on hand these weak, um, radiation meter readers. Uh, I forget what they're called, but the, 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 we'll call it Geiger counters, I guess we'll call them that. And so they, they read the amount of radiation with these weak things and they maxed out at 3.6 Roentgens, which is dangerous, but not lethal. Right. And so he says, Oh, we've only got it 3.6, but they didn't know that it went higher than that because they didn't look on the, on the more powerful meter readers. So they went and they got, so then they're ordered, go get them. Eventually it comes, they, they come to find out like later on that there was in some places 30,000 Roentgens, which is, I mean, extraordinarily lethal. You can't stand next to something like that for five seconds without catching a, le- a lethal dose of radiation. So basically the idea is this fucking nuclear reactor, the number four reactor at Chernobyl has exploded Okay, the man most directly responsible for it, Anatoly Dyatlov, has told people that everything is fine. It's not exploded. There's not that much radiation. Meanwhile, this fucking exploded burning graphite fire reactor is pumping shit into the atmosphere. And uh, 
I don't know if you've ever researched it, but the fallout of Chernobyl has been far-reaching and has affected the lives of hundreds of thousands of individuals. It's been estimated that as many as 4,000 people have already died directly as a result of the radioactive material that got spewed into the atmosphere as a result of Chernobyl. This this guy, I mean, he is, he is pure scum. And the reason he's scum is he he lied. He lied about this enormous reactor explosion. He lied about the amount of radiation that was being pumped into the atmosphere and pumped into that, that, that facility, so much so that it ended up killing people. I think like 50-some people died in the, in the first couple weeks as a result of radioactive ex- radiation exposure. And even this guy got sick from it. You know, So he, 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 in an attempt to cover his own ass, worsened one of the really is responsible because it was his order to ramp the power up. It was his order to insert the control rods and that all, it was his order to dump water into the reactor that all resulted in the explosion of the Chernobyl number four reactor. This guy, not only did he cause this enormous explosion at Chernobyl, he tried to cover it up for a while to to take care of his own ass. And you know what fucking sucks? He only got five years in prison. He got, he got 10 years, but he only served five years. It was like mismanagement of a government position or something. And to the, to the day he died, he even wrote a book about it. He, he said that it wasn't his fault, that it was a, a technical fault in the reactor. But every, every research and report done about Chernobyl points to him and his decisions and it, it, leadership ignoring the, the warnings of coworkers that resulted in the explosion of the number four reactor at Chernobyl. So, Anatoly Dyatlov, your self-centered, dishonest bullshit behavior resulted in one of the largest nuclear accidents the world has ever seen. You harmed the lives of thousands, maybe millions, and you are a douchebag. Oh man, I really enjoy doing douchebags of history. I really enjoy doing that. I really enjoy shitting on some scummy motherfucker from our past. Feels good, doesn't it? Feels good to know that there are people in the past that are so terrible that 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 ruined the lives of so many individuals. What a fucking terrible person. So, thanks a lot, Anatoly. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your contributions to the human race. Okay. So, we've done the aircraft of the month. We've done the asshole of the month. We've done douchebags of history. And and now I I wanna I wanna do my topic of discussion. I feel like every month there's something. I I just I want to do a topic of discussion. Something that I I, I want to discuss with you. And this month, my topic of discussion is mental health. I want to talk about mental health and and mental health awareness in our country. And it kind of relates to the conversation that I had with um, Mr. Sergeant Major Thornton the last time he was here, the last episode, and uh, and some things that he said about, you know, taking care of business, taking care of yourself so that you're good to go. Mm, Hang on, I I need another drink of the bourbon. So, hmm. when I think about the United States, I think about our culture, our society. We place a a really high premium on being tough and being strong, and I think that 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 certainly is the the general consensus amongst a lot of other societies as well, some to an extreme degree, like the, I think Asian cultures, especially the Japanese have, they place a really high 
level of importance on not not acting out and and being stern and stoic i think that that runs counter to what makes humans human we are emotional creatures and very much so when we're young and in in development as children our minds are little sponges as we're growing up and emotionally especially in this country we I think especially for men, we turn away from the reality that our emotional side is just as important as our intellectual and logical side. Two pieces working together to make up human consciousness. And I think that this persona of ultra-toughness that we have been addicted to for a really long time stems from, honestly, World War II. I I am a, a big fan of of the lessons we can learn from World War II. I'm I'm also a big fan of of studying the history of our society and our culture after World War II. World War II was the last worldwide conflict. You know, 80 million people died as a result of it, and it has shaped our culture uh, in unbelievable ways, in enormous ways that we're we're still seeing far-reaching effects of to this day. Uh, it, ha- it it has a lot to do with the fallout of World War II, the, the, the United States in post-World War II, United States. It, it, is, it has changed every facet of our society. And one of the ways that it's done that is the image of what makes a man and what, what makes a man tough. You got to think, World War II ravaged every nation that it touched for five years. Six years. That includes, you know, most of Europe, the UK, China, Japan, the Soviet Union, especially, Africa, the Mediterranean. Everywhere World War II went was ravaged, scarred, destroyed, their infrastructure damaged. Some nations far worse than others. Except for one country, the United States of America. Our nation did lose people. We, I think it's something on the order of like 340,000 American soldiers did not come home from World War II. Soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines. But our nation, our country, our mainland was untouched. We received no bombings. We received no nuclear attack. We were not invaded. But during World War II the United States became an economic superpower and a production superpower. We were pumping out weapons and tanks and planes and guns and bullets. After the war was over, it's true that the Soviet Union was largely responsible for our victory in Europe. We were almost solely responsible for our victory in the Pacific, but we were also responsible for the other half of Europe, the victory in Europe. We contributed heavily there. So, we have this culture in the United States of we won the war. You know, we, 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 we won the war. And, and when we came back from that, America was un, undefeated, un, untouchable. We fought our conflicts in, you know, Korea and Vietnam as the decades went by. But, but if you look back at that time during World War II, the popular culture of that age was, it was very 
embedded in the idea that men were tough and strong and the heroes of our our films and our popular culture around World War II and and then after was all about being strong and tough and manly and 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 you know that's appealing it's appealing to me even but it only appeals to one side of the reality of being human especially being human in America and that never really went away you think about the the heroes of our our films and the heroes of our culture, the men and women that we look up to, it's always this like tough thing attached to it, kind of, right? Or there has been in a lot of ways. And I think that that, that permeated a lot of what our society is and has been for decades and decades. And, and the generations that have come after World War II have been exposed to that. In a nation where we won the war untouched our country wasn't damaged and our people didn't suffer nearly as bad as all the other nations that were involved and then our unbelievable enormous success economically and just our growth our our unbelievable power we became one of the world powers between us and the Soviet Union and the whole time we were involved in the cold war the Soviet Union was really behind us but we we had this just unbelievable prosperity. And even at our low times after World War II, things were still pretty good. You know, in our recessions, shit was still pretty awesome. And we still were the, the best country in the world to be in. You know, that kind of success and that kind of uh, cultural supremacy and, and economic supremacy and military supremacy, it leads us to believe that we're invincible. And so, of course, the men and women of our society are would have been under the impression that you had to be invincible to be a good American, to be a good person. It's just, it's, it, it, we're bombarded. We've been bombarded by it. That idea of, of what makes a person good and what makes a person strong for so long as a society that we've come to just internalize it and believe it. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. Weakness, pain, suffering is a part of human existence. It's natural. It's what it's it's an enormous part of who we are. And we work so fucking hard to trick ourselves and to trick others into believing otherwise. Maybe because it makes us easier to control. I don't fucking know. I just know that in this society, mental health and people with mental issues People with things like depression, anxiety, panic disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, bipolar, schizophrenia, the list goes on and on. These people are seen as weak, damaged, defective, and that's fucking bullshit. I understand there are a lot of humans in this world who don't have to deal with those problems. Not everyone is genetically predisposed for it, but a lot are. And a lot of them aren't being treated the way that they need to be. I mean, you got to think. We are new software we're running new software on an operating system that's 40,000 years old we're, we're, we're in hardware that is ancient and we were designed for a different kind of life we were not designed by evolution to work in cubicles or to work in offices or to commute every day or to, to focus on stressing over bills to focus on stressing over our toxic relationship with our girlfriend who doesn't love us but we keep trying anyway you know we are not designed for this we were not designed to be completely emotionally destabilized by consistent traumatic abuse at the age of two to five we weren't designed to be raped we weren't designed to experience combat as Mark said in my last interview, human beings were not designed for combat. 
We were not designed to experience combat the way that it exists in the modern world with tanks and planes and machine guns and bombs and atomic fucking weapons. That is not the world that we were designed for by evolution. We were designed for something much simpler, but we're intellectual. We create things, and so we created this modern world, and of course, with it, is going to come stress that we need help coping with. And we aren't doing it enough. I think that our medical structure in the United States does not place enough emphasis and, and enough support on mental health for American citizens. I think that tackling mental health in this country, in this world, is important not only for the, the benefit and the success of the individual, but also for all of us as a society and a species. Because if I've learned anything through my traumas and my, my traumatic past, it's that traumas done upon us will be revisited upon those that come later unless we resolve them ourselves. So if your grandmother beat you until you thought you were going to die when you were two or three or four, if you didn't resolve those issues as a grown-up later on down the line, you might be very inclined to do the same to your child because it's all you knew. We as a species as a race of humans, I think we need to work harder to deal with our issues, to deal with mental health on the whole, because it's, it's, it's damaging us. It's, it's damaging us. It is not something to be shied away from. You know, we, we all carry our own hurt and our own pain and our own grief and our own traumatic past and our own difficulties. And as a, as a society, we should be looking out for one another on that front. And, we, and there's no reason not to at this point. There's no reason we can't. We know, we understand it. We understand mental health and mental issues and, and psychological trauma and mental disorders far better than we used to. And it's, it's, it, it is getting better. We, we are making leaps and bounds in treating it and, and, and understanding it. But I think we can, we can do better. And I think that individuals need to be reassured and 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 taught that the things that happen inside your mind are just as important to your well-being as the things that happen to your body the 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 things that you drink the food that you eat the the healthcare that you receive for a broken limb your mind is a symbiotic thing with your body they exist in conjunction you have to take care of them both or one will kill the other it really is just that simple. And, and until we embrace that as a society, as a race of beings, we're going to continue to experience a lot of difficulty, I think, as a result. I, I imagine that, God, have you ever spent time thinking about horrible people from the past, like Adolf Hitler <laughs> or, or, you know, Stalin, Joseph Stalin? What if these men had been treated by a mental health professional in the modern age? How different would they have been? What about, what about Stalin made him the psychopathic murderer that he was? What about Hitler made him hate Jews so much? What if someone had been there to offer him health care? I know that's a ridiculous and, and far-reaching and broad spectrum of, of what if, but you really, 
it's it's there has to be truth to it how how much of human history could have been changed for the better with the proper application of mental health care and how much of our future will be affected by either the availability or the lack of mental health care in my last interview with mark he's a retired sergeant major of the united states army with extensive <laughs> extensive experience as a deployed combat soldier and he said it himself, there is no excuse for anyone as an adult to allow their psychological health to affect their behavior in such a way that harms others. But imagine how much of what people are doing is affecting their entire environment and their surroundings in a negative way because they exist in a negative mental state. Not just the people that that they interact with, but they're just their general environment. What? Well, well, how, how much better could we do as a species, as a society, as a people, if we were working harder to help each other understand and resolve the issues that we have inside of ourselves? But I think personally, in the medical community, that is that is a that is a frontier that we need to. Oh, we need to dump so much research into that. And it's it's something that I want to reinforce to you that that as my listener, I I care about you. You're a human being. You're a member of this incredible thing that exists in the universe. We are the only creatures that know ourselves. As far as we know, we are the only beings that have the capacity for consciousness and intellectuality. And as part of that, you are immensely special you are <laughs> infinitely important and as such your mind is infinitely important and it has an enormous impact on the way that you live your life and if you are feeling things that are are bad if you are sad or depressed or anxious or panicky or you can't stop thinking about that horrible thing that happened or you're you can't you can't stop reliving that beating that you took or that traumatic experience that you had to suffer through that combat action that messed with your mind that sexual assault that that is consistently hurting you if you are experiencing hallucinations for no reason at all if you are experiencing constant shifts in your emotional state up and down, please, 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 please speak to somebody. Please speak to somebody. Please consider getting some help from a professional. Not because you're broken or because you're damaged or because you're fucked up or because you're or bad or wrong or, or weird or, or damaged goods. You are just like anybody else. And this is an illness. The same as a flu is an illness or a broken arm is an illness. It, it's, it, it can be helped. Most people. And I don't know the exact statistics, but I do know from all the healthcare providers that I've ever spoken to, the vast majority of people who seek assistance with their mental health issues recover or improve and live a lot longer. And I want that for you. I know that some people listening probably aren't experiencing any any problems. That's That's okay. Please be aware that there are many other people around you who are and to the people who are listening that are experiencing those issues, there is help. I've got it. I've had to get it. 
And there are so many other people in this world who are plenty strong and who are plenty awesome and who have done unbelievable fucking things with their lives and who are good to the ones that they love and who are good to all the people around them who have gotten that help too. And there's no reason for you to not be one of them. If you're an addict, if you're depressed, if your life just doesn't make sense, if you're hurting, please, 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 you belong here with us. And you belong here with us in a healthy way, a happy way, a sustainable way. So I beg of you, please, if these are problems that you're having, take the step because in doing so, you're breaking that unhealthy cycle, that vicious cycle of perpetuating the trauma, the sadness, the depression down through the ages. As a, as a person, as an individual, it's a responsibility that we have to take control of our own mental health so that the people that we interact with, that we affect in the future, we affect in a positive way and not a way that is traumatic or not a way that is hurtful or depressive. I wish I could go into the past and speak to the people that hurt me and beg them to get help. Not because I'm angry at them, but because I want them to have a life that's better. I want all of us to have a life that's better. And I think that one of the biggest ways that we can accomplish that is by focusing on and developing better strategies, broad-reaching societal strategies for tackling mental health. And it starts at the individual level. We have to take responsibility for our lives and accept that we are in pain or we have some issue. And I hope that, I hope that all of you listening will do that for me. And know that if you need someone to speak to, you can reach out to me. I, I, I want you to reach out to me. I care about you. I want you to reach out to people that love you, your family, your friends. And I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with doing that. And so that's my message for April. Well, it's now May. <laughs> but my episode where I recap April 2019, that's my message at the end of all of these things that I've discussed. Imagine, I wonder if uh, Anatoly Dyadlov would have been a better person if he had received some mental health care. <laughs> break through that ego that fear of the soviet union man speaking of the soviet union you guys got to watch that show chernobyl on hbo it really tacks down how much of a fucked up society that was a society that lived in constant fear and how that fear drove them to do things like lie and how those lies cascaded into horrible horrible things that ended up affecting the lives of millions in a very negative way I wonder if they, if the Soviet Union had been big on mental health care, would they have been a, a stronger, longer-lasting society? So anyway, uh, once again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening to this closet podcast. Pour me another. Thank you for uh, all of your support. Thank you for all of your comments and your positivity. I deeply appreciate it as I continue this adventure into reaching out. <laughs> Having my voice heard by the vast masses of internet podcast listeners. If you guys enjoy the show, be sure and follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Pour Me Another. My uh, website is anchor.fm slash pour me another. On that website, there exists the option to donate money to the podcast. No one's done it yet. <laughs> no one's no one's made any donations to my shitty little podcast, which is totally understandable. I wouldn't do it if I were you either. I'm not exactly 
I'm not getting paid to do this, uh, and I don't really have to pay anything to do this. So it's it's pretty much free all the way around. It might it would I, I guess if if someone donated to my show, it would probably go to more bourbon or or, or maybe advertisements. I I don't know. <laughs> you you really don't have to, and you probably shouldn't. But anyway, that option exists. Um. So anyway, once again, thank you for listening to Pour Me Another, the April recap. I hope every single one of you has a fantastic fucking week. I love you. Like I said, if you need someone, talk to someone. If that someone is me, fuck it, man. I'm here. I'll listen. But anyway, in the interim, I hope you guys all have a fantastic week. <laughs>